Wow. Elrod, what a day. What a day. What a day. Correct. We've had, uh, this. it's Wednesday. Uh, this episode will probably be airing uh, the following day on a Thursday, but we had Mueller speak. And just as importantly to what Adrian and I talk about, uh, the DNC announced, uh, made a major announcement on their, their upcoming debates in the fall. Uh, and to help us navigate all the new uh, criteria and standards is Sochi Hinojosa, the communications director for the DNC, and our, our, our first repeat guest, <laughs> which is a big deal. Yes, we need to give you like some sort Do of I get a medal. Prize? I was going to say a medal yeah. or a prize or some sort of I should have brought you guys flowers. <laughs> we will send you some jelly. Yeah, yeah exactly. We should have <laughs> had some drinks over. Oh, we'll that. I feel <laughs> like we kind of need, it's like a time of the day where we need a beer right yeah. now because it's <laughs> been quite a day. So welcome back to the show on behalf of my partner in crime, Adrian Elrod. It's great to have you back. Thanks for having me. Um, Elrod, take yeah. it over. So, so, Sochi, we wanted to have you on today specifically because the DNC announced new criteria for, of course, the third debate, mm-hmm. which is taking place in, um, where is it taking place, actually? So we don't have a location yet. The first two debates are in Miami and Detroit, and mm-hmm. we're still determining where in this beautiful country we're going to have the third mm-hmm. debate. Any Perfect. Cities in contention? There are so many important cities. They won't be in the first four early states, though. I'll say that. Those, Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, Nevada, all those debates will be closer to those primaries when you have the candidates in those states leading up to, you know, how the January, February Mm -hmm. goes of an election year. Um, You have the candidates sort of camping out in these four early states. And so we think it'll be beneficial for not only candidates, but for the state party and voters to have those debates in early 2020. So we have it determined in September, but um, we are looking at a number of options and we're really excited about it. So Sochi, can you lay out the criteria that the, the DNC has put forward for candidates to qualify for the third debate? Absolutely. So if you you might remember, the first debate um, is extremely, first and second debates are very inclusive. It was a 1% threshold um, and a grassroots fundraising donation that is very new. It's 65,000. And it should be very easily achievable. Um, Yes. If you have a grassroots fundraising infrastructure, which I think that if you've seen the coverage over the past few months of the Democrats' running, you see people talking about grassroots fundraising and grassroots donors. How much did ever did X person raise in one day by how many donors? You've seen these numbers thrown up by the campaigns and you've seen in this cycle, it's already taken, um, it's just, it's already sort of it, in itself, it's something that's big when it comes to the media and campaigns. And, and so it's also for, just a functionality of a modern-day campaign. It's just absolutely. something that every modern-day campaign should have. It's a necessity, and it's something that if you want to take on Donald Trump, who is one of the largest grassroots fundraisers, and we saw that in the 2016 election, you have to have that if you want to take him on. So – as we head to September, what we've always said is that the threshold will go up. And so we tweaked it both on the fundraising side and the polling side. On the polling side, it will go up to 2% in four or more polls. We lay out about a dozen or so national and local polls in case you have a strategy in one state. We want to make sure that we are reflective of 
you know, some of the early states. And then we also um, have a grassroots fundraising threshold, which is doubling from 65,000 to 130,000 unique donors in 20 states. Um, so that is, is it's not an easy, not easy to reach by any means, but at the mm-hmm. same time, it is something that's attainable. And it's something that we believe working with Act Blue, who some of you might know, is the sort of democratic arm of grassroots fundraising, working with them to establish a threshold that we believe was attainable. But at the same time, if you want to be competitive against Donald Trump in 2020, you need to actually have an investment in order to make that 130 um, donations. But with that said, if you have reached 65,000 donations already for the first two debates, that counts towards September. So that is, you know, three months out. We are, the qualifying deadline is at the end of August. So you have three months to reach this. Yeah. And, and a lot of candidates have already announced that they've surpassed that 65,000 donor threshold, which means that people are still building on that number to get them to 130,000 by the time the August 28th deadline rolls around. Absolutely. You've probably seen, if you check your inboxes um, today, you've probably seen emails from candidates already saying the DNC raised a threshold, um, help me qualify for the next debate. And that happened even before this threshold was rolled out. And by the way, I think that's really smart because the way I I got an email, I think within 30 minutes, maybe 45 minutes from Cory Booker, which was really smart because – not only is his campaign capitalizing on this moment to raise money, but it was written in such a respectful way that basically, you know, it didn't throw the DNC under the bus. It just basically said, hey, listen, the DNC has, you know, increased their threshold for the third debate, help ensure that I qualify by making a donation today. Mm-hmm. And so, she is there a minimum re- financial um, donation that somebody has to make in order to read, like, can they just give a dollar? They can give a dollar. um, That is totally fine. And we encourage, it's a way for people to show their support towards these campaigns and frankly, a way to engage voters very early on in the process. They're investing in a candidate. You see some voters investing in multiple candidates. They want to see a broad debate stage and they are interested in multiple people. They might not have their mind made up. And so um, we're pretty excited about this. But I think the most important thing is that it's giving a voice to the grassroots. Mm -hmm. And that's important. And I don't think that anyone can argue against that. Sochi, um, if there are more than 20 candidates on the state or more than 20 candidates qualify for the first two debates, uh, the one in Miami and then the one in Detroit, you guys came out with um, a way to determine how those who, who those 20 people would be, right? Absolutely. That's something that we had to think about now that we have more than 20 people in a race. I don't know if you guys thought that there would be more than 20 people in the Democratic primary. I mean, you know, I, I would actually want to say something really funny on that, on that note. I had um, a drink with John Podesta about a year and a half ago, and he predicted that he thought 25 to 26 oh, people yeah. would run. And I said, no way. And he was right. Well, you know, funny thing about the show is we were kicking around the name 20 for 20. <laughs> Before we settled on electable, I'm glad that we settled with the electable. Yeah, I know, instead. but it, you know, there. Yeah, so I think I think we thought that th- there was a possibility, but I think any reporter you talk to, uh, probably early 2017, um, and even in 2018, they would say 
you really think there'd be 20? But um, with that said, we had to come up with a mechanism in order to determine if there were more than 20 people who qualified, who exactly would make it on that stage. And so what we did is um, if you made both thresholds, so both grassroots fundraising meets 65,000 um, donations and the 1% threshold in three or more polls, if you meet both, you get on the debate stage first, then followed by the people who just made the polling threshold, then followed by the people who just made the grassroots fundraising threshold. And, um, and I think it's important because I think that if – um, we we have yet to see who has made the debate stage, and that will be something that's very exciting that you know will happen in the next two weeks. Um, but we're at least seeing a lot of enthusiasm with grassroots donors when it comes to this threshold. And you guys also correct me if I'm wrong. You also determined how the the drawing system mm-hmm. uh, for the for the debates because I know there were some questions about that, but uh, you guys came up with a solution, right? We have a solution for everything. Uh, of course you <laughs> do. You guys have been very, very savvy and methodical about all of this. Um, thank you. We It has been um, one of the things that Tom Perez said from the beginning is that he didn't want an undercard debate. And that was – not sure if you remember that from twenty the 2016 or I guess 2015. That's when it yeah. started. The, the Republican debates, the kids' table, <laughs> how much of a disaster that was. And he heard from – strategists and others that if you were on the kids' table, your chances were over. It was done for you. Your campaign was over. It's that a was a terrible not, PR image. I mean, everybody a, made fun of the kids' debate and, you exactly. know, it just made everybody look kind of like, to borrow Trump, a word from Donald Trump, losers. Exactly. So we were able to get um, networks to commit to two con- two um, consecutive nights of primetime, which is huge for Democrats. And so we not only have it for the first two, but we have it for the ter- third debate. And so how we're going to determine who is on the debate stage, given that we don't want an undercard debate or a kids table, we will be looking at the, at the candidates who have pulled 2% and higher and draw from that and divide them between the two nights and everyone under 2% and draw from that and divide them between the two nights. So it is a sense of random, but it's ensuring that you don't have a kid's table. So that was the only way to do it. Um, We thought you could have a random drawing and you could end up with a kid's table still. When's the the drawing? And will this be on Facebook Live or Instagram? (laughs) I want to watch this thing. I know you do want to. You probably want to have your show live from this Let's do it on the electable. Yeah. That'd be so Doug much fun. And I, Doug and I can alternate back and forth on picking the Yeah, games. it'll be like the NBA lottery. <laughs> it would. Um, I'm sure you would have a lot of people tune in. You're, you're, everyone would be listening. Every, I think every, this is something you should ask the chairman about. <laughs> I'll ask him. <laughs> I'm uh, on board with this. I, and the uh, so NBC will work on announcing that soon, but um, we're trying to find a mechanism so that we are fair in terms of um, there is some sort of, you know, campaigns can be involved in it some way. Great. That's yeah. great. So, Sochi, let's talk hypothetically about the third debate here. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got two nights reserved for ABC, mm-hmm. but what happens and, – and, and, uh, and uh, Univision, 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 right? But what happens if only nine people qualify or what happens if 11 people qualify? How do you, you – it's not like you're going to have one person be on the debate stage by themselves on the second night. So how do you – do you have any idea how you're going to sort of structure that process? We're still trying to figure it out, but I think that we will have 
Um, I think a good amount of our candidates will make the debate stage for September. At least I am, given the amount of enthusiasm with grassroots fundraising, I'm optimistic that you will Mm -hmm. have um, a good amount of people. And by the way, it means that up to 20 people can qualify. Yeah, And you still have the same slots that you do for the first two debates. Absolutely. You can have – the reason why we are having the qualifying period between June 28th and August 28th is because – both of you know, you're strategists. If you, if your candidate has a great night, you see a jump in the polls, right? If they made, were which able to make a jump an impression, in donations too. which means a jump in donations. And so we um, know that there will likely be a lot of polling after these debates because it's the first time that you've had all the candidates um, sort of sell themselves to the American people on a stage. And so it's a great way to start capturing how voters are feeling about it. And you have people tuning in. So I think that I'm really optimistic about the third debate. But depending on how many people make it, if the the stage is capped each night at 10. So if it's under 10 people, then you will have one night. If it is more than that, then you will divide them evenly between the two nights. So we have the option, which is fantastic, given that it's really hard, as both of you know, to have a network commit to two nights in the fall when they have their programming. Right. Right? And, you're, and, I, and I think you bring up a really important point, Sochi, because there are so much, there, there are so many competing interests when it comes to primetime television in the fall, especially post-Labor Day. And it's hard to really find that time frame that networks will give you where mm-hmm. they're looking, giving you two consecutive nights mm-hmm. of debate coverage. So what kind of criticism has the DNC heard? Today, if any, maybe, maybe not. May, may, maybe all candidates love this plan. Um, well, you've heard, we've heard, you know, I think it's, there are campaigns that are out there who um, are, you know, worried about the investment in grassroots, the grassroots infrastructure investment. Mm-hmm. And, and also, you know, about the polling. Some people are, got into the race earlier than others. And because of that, some people are polling higher because they've been able to campaign out there. And so I think that people are always nervous about what does that mean for me going into the third debate? Will I make it? Will I not? You know, I'm not sure if I made it yet for the first and second debate, but what will that mean for the third? And um, But I think that goes with any large field. There's a lot of uncertainty, and there's a lot of uncertainty for some of these candidates. And so I think that that um, can if you're on a campaign, it can be hard at times. But we've been very transparent at the same time that the threshold will go up, and we told them very early on this year that that would happen. And mm-hmm. so if you are a campaign looking at this, you would have fundraised throughout this entire time, not just when you met the 65000 Knowing that the number would likely increase. Exactly. And I just want to state to the viewer – I'm sorry, the listener listeners out there that – you know, when you're thinking about this and if you feel like, oh, maybe the DNC is treading too much into the process, which I certainly don't agree with and neither does Doug, um, you got to keep in mind that we simply cannot have debate stages with 22 or 23 candidates going into January of 2020. I mean, that's just not functional. Um, the DNC has done such a great job of negotiating with networks to even get two nights so that you've got two separate nights with the d- debate stages of up to 10 people. But this is just not a sustainable process. And I think you guys are very open and transparent for the first two debates and allowed, you know, allowing so many people to participate. But if you don't strengthen the thresholds, then we either that either results in an undercard debate or it means that we just keep having these large debate stages where maybe candidates have a chance to say two or three things 
the entire night. And that's not what a real presidential campaign should look like, I think, as we get closer to the caucuses. You want to debate on the issues, and you want the voters to hear and be able to make a decision from those debates. Um, they have Some states have the opportunity to see these candidates all the time, like the first four early states, but others don't. And it's the first time they don't have the luxury of having a candidate go to their backyard. And so they want to hear for this themselves, you know, who should they be supporting and who has the best ideas. And so our goal is to not only showcase our candidates, but to make sure that we are doing it in a way that we can allow the voters to make up their mind and um, to really engage in this process. And so we figure that we did both with this threshold. Running for president is is not easy. Are you going to run? There's still time. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) I don't know if I'll make the uh, donation uh, criteria. Um, It's not easy. Taking on Donald Trump is going to be the hardest thing Mm -hmm. whoever our nominee does in their career. Uh, So I think it only makes sense to have a bar that you have to to qualify. Uh, Mm -hmm. You have to hit in order to qualify for these debates. And you have to demonstrate that your campaign is making progress, that you're, you know, that you're uh, picking up traction in the early states and nationally with donations. I think this will um, spur campaigns to make some decisions earlier than they probably typically would have in terms of advertising. So if they're looking at um, going up on TV maybe earlier than they typically would so mm-hmm. that they can reach that uh, you know 1% or 2% threshold either for the first debate or the second. I think the second debate is going to be even more critical because I think the, the numbers – I think we're going to see, you know, certainly not 19 people on the stage during the yeah. during the third debate. But in order to get that two percent threshold, that you may see people going up uh, on TV or maybe uh, significant digital buys to raise their name ID, raise their mm-hmm. name ID, which will help with their polling. Um, and I think that look, and I and that think, will also help with their grassroots fundraising. Absolutely. And so, you know, instead of sort of holding on to this money and dumping it you know, later on in the fall or early winter in Iowa yeah. or New Hampshire, they're going to have to figure out how to use this more, you know, spend it wisely, but probably earlier. Absolutely. Um, and I also just want to remind everybody that Hillary Clinton, you saw a lot of enthusiasm in her campaign early on, and she doubled, nearly doubled this grassroots fundraising threshold by June, by the end of June of 2015. Mm -hmm. Now, I think that a lot of people never saw her as the strongest grassroots fundraiser, but she was, right? And I think people forget that. People forget that she did have a following. So when I think you're looking at this, it's achievable. She was the nominee, right? She had sort of momentum behind her. People were excited about her. And so I think that when you're – as we're looking towards – 2020, you need to have a candidate who will also have sort of that energy and that backing. And for context, Sochi, I think I heard this today that the only candidate who went on to be the nominee of a part of the Democratic Party that was polling at 2% in the off year of the presidential election, so 1975, was Jimmy Carter. Um, That just shows you that Statistically and historically, it's very hard at this stage of the game, if you are polling around 2% Mm -hmm. or less than 2% is probably a better way to put it, that you're actually going to be able to be the nominee. And there are so many people running this time, so it does create an advantageous situation to people like Joe Biden who are already, you know, polling out the wazoo. And I think the race is going to tighten 
but it certainly does give with a crowded primary some of these people who are you know really leading in the polls right now an advantage. So again, it's it, this is not the DNC coming in and trying to um, you know really mandate the primary system. They are simply trying to make sure that we can. Um, create a real debate stage with people who have a feasibility of being the nominee. Yeah, and Jimmy Carter, that was a different time. You didn't have polling in Iowa. He had an Iowa-only strategy. And so now that you're looking at polling and polling in the early states, and this is why we have early state polling involved in our threshold, because if you are doubling down on a certain state or have a strategy um, of that kind and you don't have sort of national name recognition, we wanted to take that into consideration as well. So we have thought of everything, including <laughs> that and including a Jimmy Carter situation. Um, but it is, it's definitely something that we're excited about and that is definitely attainable and necessary in order to beat Donald Trump. Yeah. And I also think it's smart that you guys announced this before the first debate, because now you're not dealing with, you know, if you announce it after the first debate, some people might criticize you for saying, oh, this is a result of the first debate. They're, this criteria that they're, they're putting forward, they're just reacting to something that happened in the first debate. So I think it's smart that you guys were transparent and put this out when you did. And not only the first debate, but before anyone qualifies. I have no idea who has qualified thus far. I only take people for their word at this point. Um, we don't have access to any of these numbers. And so we are, I'm seeing it when you guys see it, when mm -hmm. it becomes public from the campaigns. And so we won't know until... Um, about two weeks from now. And so we we announced this before we even know who will be on the debate stage in really smart. June. The, the thing that I think the all of these candidates who qualify for the first debate uh, on June 26th and 27th, I mean, they've got a real opportunity to break through. So I t agree with, uh, with Elrod in terms of how hard it is to sort of come out of the third tier. But this is also an unbelievable venue for them. Mm -hmm. You're going to have a ton of eyeballs watching this thing. We've seen how someone like a Mayor Pete has been able to uh, take advantage of moments with smaller audiences and catch catch fire. Uh, yeah. And so I wouldn't rule that out for a lot of the candidates who are, you know, at one or two or three percent. I mean, let's not forget the candidates who are polling at one or two or three percent. These guys are these guys and gals are like real serious politicians. Yes. You know, I mean, they're governors, they're senators, uh -huh. they're big city, they're big city mayors. I mean, there's not a lot of the same jokers that we saw in the Republican Party. <laughs> These folks are accomplished. So they have the skills. I mean, Steve Bullock entered in the race, or, you know, pretty late. But, you know, he was a, he, he won re-election in a, in a state that Donald Trump carried overwhelmingly. Mm -hmm. um, so there are a lot of there's a lot of talent out there. Um, I think that this is an opportunity for them to be on a stage with a significant audience and to really uh, break through and use this as a moment. Absolutely. And I think that that's why we are sort of combining the folks who poll over 2% and under 2% because we want to make sure the eyeballs are there. We want to make sure that everyone is getting a fair opportunity and we want to make sure that there's record viewership on both nights, not just on one night when you have the top five candidates on a stage together, which now, you know, won't happen given our new um, – our, our new role. But um, but yeah, and I think that that's also why it's important for these candidates to do town halls. I think that it's very smart for them to get out. Um, if I, you know, if I were 
I think if you guys were advising them, I'm sure you'd probably advise towards get your get out there, right? And I think that um, you do have a lot of candidates who are benefiting from the, these. I mean, in this large field right now, you've got to take advantage of almost every free moment of airtime that you can get. That's why I still continue to harp on the fact that I think candidates should do town halls on Fox News, for example, although I also at the same time very much believe that you guys made the right right decision by not having an officially sanctioned DNC debate on Mm -hmm. Fox News. Mm -hmm. So Sochi, is there anything else you want to add? Any other words of wisdom that you want to share with our listeners? Any news you want to break? Any news you want to break? Well, I think people are going to be really excited when Doug runs for president and joins <laughs> the debate stage. So There's watch still time, Doug. out for that. There is time. Oh, it, I think people are going to be excited when we host the uh, <laughs> debate drawing contest. On, <laughs> I, I got to say, I got to say in all seriousness, I am kind of surprised that somebody like Sasha Baron Cohen did not try to, you know, jump into this process and do some sort of online, you know, crowdsourcing. Right. He could probably, there are people like him who probably could have done it. Probably still could. Um, Be right up his alley. Dave Chappelle, he could be another anyone in that mix. So she's like, you're giving me a heart attack right now. (laughs) We're not trying to give anyone ideas either. Well, Sochi, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you making the time on such a busy day for you and helping to educate our listeners on the uh, DNC debate process. So thank you. Thanks so much for having me. 